So, first of all, like, thank you very much. I'm really, I do feel very honoured to be here and hopefully my talk, there's some things in it that may spark a debate later or any questions you want to ask, obviously ask, but maybe um, even some things to take away and think about. Um, so, this is me. Um, <laughs> so, a bit about myself just very quickly. Um, so, I've been working in uh, journalism for just over 15 years. Um, I've worked across magazines, newswires, I was a TV producer for CNBC for a while. Um, I've also worked at online-only publications like Quartz, Business Insider, um, IB Times, um, but then also at business-to-business um, -business magazines that have online, um, online offerings as well. And throughout my time, I've always tried to... I, I love the creativity of online, and we are kind of in this you know, very cool sweet spot where, you know, things aren't staying the way they are. They're rapidly evolving. And while that's a challenge for us journalists, it's actually a great time as well to, you know, enhance your storytelling, which is what um, journalism should be. Um, so, um, so, birth of online journalism, just recapping. So, when it first started, um, um, when, um, you know, the internet was born, People thought of online as just a place to hold print, um, you know, words in print, just upload them online, um, and that was it. Um, but at the same time, there was obviously the growth of citizen journalism. People were able to have, um, have a voice. People, you were able to see people and read people's voices from across the world. Um, information were, you know, is easily spreadable, and that obviously offered a lot of opportunity for new um, new publications, new institutions to create different kinds of articles. No longer did you have to worry about having to fit, you know, 500 words on a page to fit a slot. It's a lot more about creativity. You could talk a lot more about different things. You could be more colloquial. And, you know, that has uh, created a fantastic platform for where we are today. However, as I like to call it, um, in journalism and because it's digital journalism, I've put some memes in here, so, you know, it wouldn't be digital journalism without memes. Um, but, so, there's different waves in digital journalism, and one of them that I feel that we're in the middle of right now is the turning, where, for a while, because of this huge birth of uh, digital journalism, there's now a misconception that online only has to be clickbait. But the thing is, people hate clickbait, and actually the bigger tech media companies are punishing that kind of thing. Whether that's Facebook or Google, um, they, you know, are now punishing the kind of media organisations that try to do clickbait titles like this and for journalism. Obviously, because people are chasing traffic, this kind of thing has been quite prolific and actually has been more used as an example of why online journalism isn't as prestigious as print still. You know, you think about like, you know, even now I've been working in online journalism for a while, but if I get an uh, article in print, my mum will still go to me like, oh, well done, that's great. And I'm like, how about all the other hundreds of millions of articles that I've written on other things that, you know, one million people have read is more like oh that's that's nice i can keep and print it out there's still that legacy issue of um that print is more valuable and online isn't and things like clickbait damage that 
Um, another thing is also about tricking the reader. That's been something that's been really uh, you know, prevalent over the last few years because of chases and traffic. You've had people that, you know, instead of doing an article, it will just be like constant slideshows, or it will be tricking the reader into clicking more. And people are fed up with that. On top of that, we've got fake news, the spread of misinformation. Um, while it's been great in terms of speed and how we get our information now, especially places like Twitter is arguably um, you know, quicker than the news-wise and getting information out. You'll see journalists or broadcasters tweeting a thing that a politician has told them. They haven't written a story on it yet. They haven't gone on TV and talked about it, but they've put it out on somewhere like uh, Twitter um, or Facebook or somewhere else. And so that's great, but at the same time, it's meaning, obviously, this deluge of information. So... These are all, and then on top of that, we've got slappy, um, slappy, sloppy content, where it's because of the speed, and again, online journalism still has that uh, misconception that a lot of it is not valuable because it's a lot more sloppy. It's not as fine-tuned as something in the New York Times print or Washington Post or Wall Street Journal where, you know, there may be hours of, you know, well, perceptions, hours of editing on, like, a news story, whereas online it's always going to be sloppy and there's always going to be mistakes. And that's, again, damaging, like, the online brand. But now, we are at a point where online journalism, digital journalism, has tried lots of different things. And some things have worked, some things haven't. But those four things that I pointed out a moment ago are what everyone is trying to move away, even places that have had success in being clickbaity is trying to have the you know, existential question of why do we do journalism? What do we want to do? Um, what, what is our goal? It's not chasing traffic. What we want to do is we want to be trustworthy. We want to get a message out, a story, an investigation, or um, relaying some very important information to the masses and why they should, and, you know, why they should read it. What do readers gain from it? And it's... I would always say that it's asking that question again and within institutions and in, um, um, in media is asking those constantly. You want to kill those clickbait and curiosity gaps and you want to get back to storytelling and using technology and tools to help do that. So, uh, so with any of the stories online, the difference is, is that there is so much more freedom and creativity in how we get those stories out. When you think of traditional journalism, we would always think of, uh, you know, literally it's a physical paper. Usually there's the splash picture, there is the 500-word story, and there's a gap 400 words. It's very funny, and that's where word count comes from, right? But really, we, it's, it's different online. You've got to ask yourself... Where are you providing the value for the reader? And this is sometimes things that are forgotten, and it's hard to marry up sometimes to traditional, where it's like, we don't know whether people are reading it or not, we're going to print it on a piece of paper, we're going to sell it out there, sell papers, sell magazines, and that's it. Whereas now you get a feedback kind of loop, I suppose, of, you know, who's picking up from where, um, why is a certain story doing better than others, um, and why is that? Are you hitting one of these things? Was there a really surprising fact in that, that 
you know, that may have just been a chart that was explained with a great headline and a bit of context. Is that what the readers want? Um, or did you, is it a big exclusive piece of news? Um, but have to keep asking yourself that when it comes to online journalism because it can be very easy and simple to slip into traffic chasing, which is where the least successful people are doing and, you know, go downhill. So the biggest thing, and especially something that is really great, what Quartz does, is constantly identifying what your audience wants. It's about respecting your audience. It's about knowing who do you want to reach, how do you want to reach them, and in a way that is smart, valuable, but also in keeping with how those um, audience consume news. We think about, um, especially from the talk earlier, there were some uh, comments about having you know, content as one thing and innovation as a separate thing and somehow trying to marry that up. But actually, it's somewhere like courts, we think of it as one holistic thing. As you're the person, let's say you're the, um, well, as the writer or the editor, we don't just think of, why is this a good story? We're like, and we think about how are the readers um, receiving this information from us? What is the most, you know, is the, what's the kind of best way in doing that? And identifying who they are, what platforms they read it on, and how best to display and also write in a way that story that is tangible to that subject. So, for instance, we have and this chart we made with an in-house called Atlas, which is open source, so anyone can use it. Um, but uh, so the mobile internet is the internet. Um, we forget that. We spend a lot of time on home pages, on online. We think that websites are the be-all and end-all. But actually, most of the internet is consumed on a phone. And that seems like a tech problem, a tech issue, but it isn't. It should be, as a writer and an editor, how different when you write would you write for, let's say, someone viewing it on a phone as opposed to a piece of paper? Or how would um, it be displayed? It's a holistic thing. And the fact that um, most of the internet is consumed on a phone, that should be a, a key you know, signal that the way we write as well or just relay a message should be you know, designed to be shareable but also you know, quite inclusive to the reader when they're on the phone. It shouldn't just be blocks of texts. It shouldn't be you know, just a picture that takes up the entire screen. It shouldn't be full of autoplay videos. It should be, if especially someone's scrolling, should it be as long? Does that story need to be as long as it is or not? Um, again, identifying your audience is really key. It seems like a very simple thing to say. And everyone goes, I know who my audience is. We've got our you know, marketing teams within all the places that we work who will do you know, surveys and check, but really nailing down like who is consuming the news and how they're doing it. And this makes a big difference. So for instance, um, with Courts with our global executive survey last year, we found this is the case. So for instance, like this is how they mostly consume their news. They're going to look on their phone. Computer is actually such a small slice of that. So how do you put in your resources? Would you write stories that are more mobile friendly? Are you going to tell the story in a certain way that it's more accessible for someone going on their way to work looking on their phone? Or are you going to spend all your resources and time doing these big spread 
kind of layouts for the computer when only a small number of those people do it. Same with the tablet. Um, obviously, there's lots of companies out there that have uh, media outlets that do tablet-only kind of, uh, I suppose, news news interactions and apps and things like that. But, you know, is it worth spending those millions or your time as well trying to develop ways in making tablet better if only 3% uh, go on it? Again, it's all about, you know, the resources and understanding your audience. So a key thing as well when we talk about innovation isn't just about the technology side, but again, it's respecting the reader on the way you write for certain format and certain readers. So at Quartz, um, one of the things that they really pride themselves on, and it's something that you find to be true, is the, we call it the Quartz curve. Um, it's obviously called things um, everywhere else um, if they do do this. But there is a kind of death zone to word count. So before, when you're doing traditional journalism, Again, we'd have word counts. We'd be given a word count, mainly not because it tells the story in a better way, that what something 1,000 words is worth more than 200 words. It was more to actually fit a page. It's more to, uh, you know, be the feature piece. So sometimes, you know, add on, you know, another picture or bulk it up with some extra context. But, you know, that's what print was. Whereas online, you should really start thinking about do I need to write 1,000 words on that story? Or can you have that killer chart with a bit of context that really gets to the crux of the piece of journalism that would tell it in a much better way and actually make the reader feel like, oh, I get it, I've got it, I'm going to share it, or I've learned something from this today. You don't want to like drown your, you know, you don't want to drown your message out with extra words. But this is um, the kind of quartz curve that we had. So on the left-hand side, we're saying that these can be between, I would say, um, sometimes 100 words to actually like 500 words. Um, but most of the time, they hover around between 250, 300. But these are, like say, concise, focused, shareable stories, often anchored by a chart or a visual. So again, like especially for data journalism, especially for business journalism, this is your friend. Um, because again, identifying audience, if, you, um, if you're not a paper of record, if you're not a Bloomberg terminal or Reuters terminal, if you're not um, you know, covering earnings every, for every single earnings for every single person, do you need to write a you know, 500 word story on, you know, eBay's earnings if everyone in the world is doing that with you know the same profits operating margins everything like that if that isn't your you know mo then what do you want out of it well actually there's maybe that key thing maybe revenue has like created or maybe revenue shot up in one region and you want to show that is the you know key part of their earnings you can do it like that on and then traffic-wise and readers tend to, like, that seems to be something that they want because not, you know, your audience don't necessarily want to read those longer things. But then, for the longer, you've got the big, ambitious investigations, pieces, you know, New Yorker-style, Washington Post, uh, New York Times, and we do them as well. Like, some of our pieces, you know, would be, like, 4,000... One of them is, like, you know, 10,000 words long. But they do incredibly well because what, again... If you're going to do it like that, 
what are you adding? What value are you giving to your reader by writing that long? You have to make sure that like, you're respecting your reader, that they're going to invest that much time. You're giving them something extra. If you find, like sometimes, you know, I've uh, you know, written stories where like, I'm going to go on the long end. I really want to go deep dive. And after you know, writing or editing it, and you think, actually, this could be a lot better if we just wheel this down and get this to a lot shorter. The message is a lot stronger and you're getting to the point more. Then you can move to this side. But we have found that um, adoption in readers, there's that kind of dead zone where it's like, <coughs> you know, like 2,000 words or 700. 700's a weird length as well. I mean, like, it's, it's something that we found. It's not obviously an exact science, but this is like kind of what we tell ourselves every time as a writer or editor looking at a story. And again, this is really trying to make yourself in tune with what your readers want. Can I just ask you, when you say death zone, do you mean that you found that no one was clicking on those stories? Yeah, not as much. Like, all the retention rate was very low. Um, It was just, yeah, it just doesn't get adopted. There's a certain word count because it's too long for a short read. Too long for a short read and too short for a long read where someone feels like they're super invested. Like, they don't know what they're getting. Is it investigation? No. So uh, just click off. Um, so a bit more explanation about these. So talking about the earnings thing. So this is a short end of the court's curve, which is, uh, this is how usually traditional would write. So obviously gap, um, gap earnings, things like that. would be like gap reports, fourth quarter earnings. Gap shares dip, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you kind of know what you get there. So when you have all these traditional places, though, that do the, you know, great stuff that they do and, you know, kind of uh, record reporting, um, you know, like record of letter or whatever. The thing is, when you're a journalist as well, like you, you can't, there is room to say something different on something that everyone else is doing. But it's just doing it again in a way that you know, adds value to the reader, that they know that if they come to courts and look at if we have anything on Gap, it's going to be in a different way. So we obviously use uh, the charts. We always like the visuals. The visuals is very important. The this and this just tells the story in a way. And then at the bottom, we'd have like a bit of context, but we wouldn't go super long and do a thousand words like all these on it. This gets to the point, and it's also kind of a different way, and it's a lot more accessible, whereas it's like most of these would just be the kind of, you know, you get the financial results, and it's like we've had bad headwinds, and we need to find more synergy to adopt better revenue, and, you know, that can alienate readers as well, right? You can still do smart reporting and still get to the, um, the key data and the key reason why sales have fallen, um, but in a different way long end of the curve, you can still do both on the same platform. So these are some of our really long pieces. And they have a global resonance and very in-depth reporting, beautiful pictures. But some of these are incredibly long. So this one was about nearly 5,000 words, but hundreds of thousands of people read it because it goes into a really deep dive. It's, It's presented in a way that really keeps the reader hooked as well. And, you know, again, it's writing, understanding your audience and giving them the respect of the right, you know, if they're going to invest their time sitting that, you have to make it worth their while. And that gets forgotten a lot in online journalism. 
visuals is, again, I know that in the earlier talk, there was talk that, um, you know, sometimes some companies may go, right, we need to be innovative. We need to do something creative. Let's do something new. Let's make pictures bigger. Or let's, uh, let's I don't know, uh, have a new banner head or something. And, you know, that in a sense, yeah, that isn't probably the most, like, craziest innovation that you can have. But there's a lot to be said in how you use these, you know, visual aids that anyone can do. But again, use it in a certain way that, that helps tell your story. At the end of the day, we're journalists, we, we're actually storytellers, right? Um, it doesn't matter whether it's an earnings report or some big scandal or, you know, war reporting, things like that. We're trying to tell a story and there's different ways in uh, doing it. And sometimes that people need that kind of visual aid. Like you said, knowing that most people will read things on their mobile, they don't want to see blocks of text. If there's the charts that will tell that story a bit more than that extra 500 words using that. Um, data visualizations, which I'll get on into a minute, that's where like key innovative things um, you know, happen. That's whether it's using AR, whether it's making it more interactive, maybe the way it's displayed, um, moving it more within the, you know, text. The photography as well, you know, we all now have, I mean, joyous, we can all use um, agency pictures, things like that, but putting that little bit extra time as well into finding that really right photo that will draw people in to that story that you want. Sometimes it, you know, a story may need to be told, but it's completely died on the internet because it's just getting you know, swamped in just words and noise. Like you, it, it, you've got to think of the whole package. Um, so as you can see, like this is how different things can look. So you've got your phone. So you just think of it like logistically, like when you're on your phone, how different, like how that would not work on this, right? Just as much as like if you're going to have like an ad or something, like how is that going to be displayed and is it going to be too intrusive to the reader? How can you make it, you know, if you're on your laptop, if you saw something like that, that's obviously big and bright, you're like, okay, and that draws you in. But again, you wouldn't use that for here, just as much. You need to get more to the point here than you probably would on here. So again, really nailing down where, you know, where's your audience, what audience do you want, and make people come back for more in that sense. Okay, so um, this was meant to be interactive, but this is a PDF, so that should be going moving, because it says move, slide your finger over the chart. So this is kind of a key thing in tapping into tech with storytelling. Quartz is, you know, a, fantastic company to work for because we, we don't just it's not just a media company we also I would say like Quartz is a tech company as well we although we have uh, a whole unit of people who create the tech they create the app they create the um, the systems that we use charts called Atlas we've got a map builder which you know and again um, most of these are open source like Atlas that's open source and anyone can use it um, always thinking of ways that you know is more attuned to making it you know easier for the reader to consume the news we don't think like right we've got something to say and we're just going to put it out there and hope everyone's going to read it we think well you know times are changing I think like you know think about the phone that you had in 2011 2012 or even 2010 like how 
basic they were and did you read or consume the news like you did then as now no not at all um, so you used the opportunity to help again the storytelling side of things and so feedback from people as well is that you know especially when it comes to data journalism and financial journalism someone's doing finance for a long time you know trying to get people super excited about bond yields is very difficult, right? But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't dumb things down and we shouldn't not tell a story because it is quite dry. The idea is that actually, look, this is an exciting chart. Let's make it interactive. How can you help convey to people that this wouldn't necessarily be a, um, you know, interesting story for why they should be reading it, why it's important, and things like that help bring that story alive. And you know that's the point, like kind of resurrect something that feels quite dry or dead. We also at uh, Courts as well, in terms of innovation wise, we, within our app, um, which is a very chatty app, which I'll get onto, there's things like, again, when it comes to visuals and storytelling, we have this AR function and we have a team that create um, yeah, AR versions of things and put it in settings like this. So you can understand like, Again, it gives that reader that extra value of like scope and scale on things. You write about everyone over the last few months, right, who's been reading about the Cassini aircraft, um, spacecraft. And, you know, you keep reading about it and you can explain it in a certain way. But something like that, having a visual makes it so much more powerful. It also makes it easier to put things into context that if you aren't a science person, you know, what's that relative to? Things like that. So innovation-wise, we... Um, you know, use AR. We've also, um, on that note, we've got, um, you know, like I said, a whole team of people that all work on tech, but have actually all worked in media as well and are journalists. And the same thing when it comes to writing and editing. It's not separated. What we do when we think of a story, you think in the best way and how to tell it. Does that involve maybe speaking to someone who can help us develop an AR thing? Um, does it involve maybe someone who's an expert on charts to quickly help us make the best chart that we can do? You've got to think of, you've got this thing you want to say, what's the best way to say it and how to say it? And that should always, always think about the possibilities within your company or something that you want to pitch to someone to make, something like this. Um, and also, this is the difference that it can make to your stories, right? So like, Having this, you know, so there's, you know, you'll ha loads of people do that similar story, right? But seeing it visualised like this is just so much more powerful. Just as much as a great headline like this with a really well, you know, well done chart that shows a key thing. Again, makes such a difference to storytelling. Same with this, how you use your picture and your words within that and again that can make a big difference and also within it is see how a photo can uh, that kind of cut off but there was a, a dog there which was really sad but I cut it out anyway um, but how powerful visuals can be and the thing is with when it comes to obviously like experimenting with how you lay out your photos, what photos pick, things like that. It should never, I would say, never be like swept aside the power of using these kind of pictures and how it draws people in because this was actually a fascinating um, feature 
and it went into depth and like and it involved like several studies this was quite a, this was a huge long read and it was just how so for instance like this one it wasn't just a news story with a picture it went actually into a big dive about um you know the ultra rich there and corruption crackdown and obviously this is one of the some symbolic things but um is incredible but again different ways in telling the story there shouldn't be a set way you should always keep thinking on different ways on how to do it and a key thing of that is tone so innovation we always talk about technology we always think about you know something like the ar or something do it or doing the app or um maybe doing something a bit crazy that should be innovation but sometimes it can be as simple as an innovation within your voice your voice as an institution who do you want to read language right we that the way you say something can either bring more people onto your platform or it can alienate them um i was speaking to a few people before about this um but tone i think is actually a huge uh shifting trend at news organizations there's still legacy where you know when you have your style guide how you write and in a certain way some places still write in exact same way that they've probably done for like 100 years and the thing is that's fine that's if you want to stay like that that's absolutely cool but with an increasingly globalized world and the fact that you know we can reach out to anyone in any part of the world at any time with the internet and they can therefore consume your information from any part of the world do we want to still keep reaching as people do we want to get our message across more if so you've got to adapt your tone and language the way you know um you know even within oxbridge like in oxbridge that the way you know uh packaging or using certain words would that be accessible to maybe you know someone in detroit or somewhere in australia it's like thinking about the same way in terms of your tone with your stories you can either draw people in and make it more accessible or you can keep it kind of in a certain group so again like the way you write and the tone can make a huge difference and innovation wise i think that's a key thing i think where people um quartz and other places included um writing in a different kind of voice has been a major sea change for a lot of organizations and as well as bringing in more readers because you're being more inclusive and think about like you know so with the BBC doing their pigeon service is recognizing it um a way that is including more people onto the platform because they are reaching out to a whole group of people that will converse and read and speak in that certain way and that's more you know in tune with how they would uh you know consume news so it's just the same as like your tone when you're <coughs> writing um these stories and there'll be like global ones like this um this got actually this was only was it yesterday or day before I can't remember but it went um yeah this went crazy and this was shared everywhere even though everyone's writing the same thing because it was very well explained it was a lot more easy to understand and not just you know news format it got to the point immediately and you know giving respect to the reader that you know we're not dumbing things down yeah. we're just explaining it a bit more and also giving them the license that we know that they'll understand key parts of this but um that makes a huge difference the same with like in the tone as well like when do you use more personal one of the things that's been great about you know being online 
is that you can put more of your personal voice into it and it can still be well researched it can still be like have a social resonance but again is your story um you know would it benefit having a more personal voice again the tone that will draw people in and when it comes to formats even within the same company the way we write for the app is not like how we'd write a news story but we do it in a very different way so our app is, you know, and before I joined Quartz, I was like a huge fan of this and I had this on my phone, so this is, you know, um, because what was different to all the other apps, it wasn't just a, you know, a list of all the news stories or breaking news stories, things like that. It's more conversational. It's like, especially when you're tired and you're commuting and you want to read something and be engaged, how do you engage people in a different way than just listing your articles? We made it conversational. It was important and like there's important stories, but writing it in a certain way, that's almost like having conversation, engages the reader more. It makes them feel like, you know, it's, it's just a completely different way and not being afraid to try new things like we would use emojis and we use gifs and memes but that's just it doesn't take away anything from the story and all it does is actually enhance it and give it in a more you know colloquial setting same with um when we think of innovation as well um there's actually key things that quartz does and some other places do as well where um, they may seem now old school in digital journalism. We still do a lot of newsletters. We do, uh, yeah, so newsletters is like a key one and emails. And the thing is, like now people, again, when it comes to innovation, people think, oh, it has to be humongous. There has to be these huge changes. But actually doing the key things well make a big difference. So we have um, a daily brief, which is a newsletter, which is um, whenever you wake up in the morning, there is everything that you kind of need to know for that day, what's happened while you were asleep, kind of cool things. And the tone of the way we write that is, again, very different. We've also recently launched, like our, uh, one of our new innovative things is actually doing um, court obsession emails where those are drilling down a cool kind of weird thing that everyone's been talking about like let's say uh, cephalopods for instance or algae but then writing it in a certain way and sending out an email and those adoption rates and those have been fantastic but the way we'd write this would be very different to a news story. It'd be very different to the app. It's about adapting and knowing your audience and your format and writing and displaying in a way that is attuned to that. It can't be the same across every platform. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, thank you. So thank you. I've spoken very far now. So. <laughs>